With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode six. If you haven't listened to them already, we've had some really great conversations with Peter Townen, Coco Ho, Debbie Beecham, Felipe Toledo, and Dane Gadowskis. Everyone has been so gracious with both their time and their candor, and the feedback has been really positive, so I hope you're enjoying them. And if you haven't already, please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, it's a big week for episode six. It's that time of year where everything boils down to a critical, often inspired, and occasionally unforgiving end of all things. The title races, the requalification battles, the Vans Triple Crown, the Hawaiian Proving Grounds. These islands have hosted so many seminal moments in surfing lore over the decades, and you can feel that infused within every swell, every spot, every event, and in every heat. From a surfing perspective, Hawaii is a heightened state in every way. The Billabong Pipe Masters, in memory of Andy Irons, the third jewel of the Vans Triple Crown, the final event of the 2019 Men's Championship Tour season, has been on this week with Italo Ferreira, Gabriel Medina, Jordy Smith, Felipe Toledo, and Chloe Andino, all vying for the 2019 world title at the Bonsai Pipeline. So while the men duke it out, we are very, very honored and privileged to have someone on the pod today who has probably forgotten more about winning world titles than these five will ever know. Someone who scalped her first of seven world titles at age 19. Someone who owns hardware from 31 elite championship tour events. She's been the subject of documentaries. She's won peer polls, ESPYs, Laureus Awards, and she's arguably transformed women's surfing and inspired generations of surfers behind her. Please enjoy the lineup's conversation with the one and only Stephanie Gilmore. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's <laughs> <laughs> your boxing. All right. Stephanie Gilmore on the lineup. You in had the lineup or on the lineup? Both. We haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> Um, you had a really nice end of your season. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was awesome. It was kind of unexpected. After Europe, I was feeling pretty um, discouraged and sort of unmotivated. And I was just like, oh, man, you know, when you're not in the title race. And I, I was sitting in like sixth or, yeah, fifth on the rankings. And I was like, oh, really? I'm just kind of scratching to stay in the top five. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and so I just thought... Oh, okay, this is this will be a nice, enjoyable way to end the year. Just go there and watch the show unfold because there was so much on the line and for everybody else and for myself and Sally Fitzgibbons, we were basically, you know, we were set. We obviously were both out of the world title race, but we'd qualified for the Olympics and and so it wasn't such a bad year. But yeah, I kind of had just 
I don't know. I was just happy with that Bali performance and um, I was like, okay, cool. That's the highlight for the year, whatever. And uh, we'll just get this Maui event finished and move on. And then, yeah, I don't know. I just, I love Maui. I go over there. I really feel like I have such a good relationship with the wave and, and you do all these interviews and they sort of say, okay, you're out of the title race. So are you going to be doing some damage and you know <laughs> playing, just playing spoiler and yeah, yeah playing yeah. spoiler it's like the, the most common question and i'm always like yeah i guess so but i just sort of say it because that's kind of put into my head and then you know it's not really what i'm thinking but yeah i didn't realize i would play such a disruptive role in in how things had kind of planned out in the end there but it was wild there was a lot of things that went down and i was really feeling some some heartbreak for Lakey and you know to have Tyler back was awesome she was ripping that was kind of all these things happening yeah I don't know do you want me to just keep rolling no, on no, about no, no. What, what all happened or <laughs> well I'm, I'm a little more interested in like the motivation comment mm. because it is one of those funny things where for someone like yourself where it's like if I'm not in the title race I'm not threatened with not requalifying mm-hmm. like kind of where do I sit you know and it is one of those things where the entire surfing world's like well, we have to we have to put this in a box somehow to understand it so you're going to play spoiler and as you said you're like what's well, not really where my mind's at I just really enjoy the wave and mm-hmm. in terms of motivation like how does that change for you over the course of the year so we start 2019 season and, and what are you thinking and then after well, just I'll just start there. Like, what mm. are you thinking at the start of 2019? Well, it, I mean, of course, at the start of every year, I want to win the world title. That's, yeah. that's what I'm here for. I'm not just interested in just existing on the tour. Do you think anyone is? I do. I think there are a few surfers um, on the men's tour and the women's tour who they don't have... Uh, I think they just don't picture... They can't picture themselves as a world champion and they just kind of exist on the tour. Don't get me wrong, it's an amazing lifestyle and it's way better than any other nine-to-five job. But I do think they haven't really uh, had that... Just a strong enough confidence or self-belief to think that they could get to that point, to reach the number one spot. And I think they just kind of become okay with that. I was talking to Pat O'Connell about this and he was like, I, it never, ever, ever entered my head that I yeah. would win a world title. And I'm like, well, that's bizarre, right? Because you're competing yeah. against world champions, but it does make sense. Obviously it is like a really nice lifestyle mm-hmm. to have, but I mean, you still, it's a little bit, what's the saying? Like shoot for the stars. And if you miss, you still hit the moon or something like that. Like yeah. if you're going for the world title, like you probably give yourself the best shot, but some people just aren't programmed that way. No, totally. And then I was listening to that interview the other day, uh, Nathan Fletcher said, you know, we basically sign up to lose and occasionally you'll win. That's pretty much competition. But I think from my very first year on tour, I just had such a drive and a confidence that I knew I could win the world title. And it's just kind of, it's never really left me. Yeah, there was moments throughout my career where it did sort of, it had left in different moments, but I don't know, I I wasn't too worried about it. Like I knew it would come back. But yeah, I see a lot of surfers who they're incredibly talented. They work harder than ever to have that place on tour, but they just don't, um, it's almost like that want. They, maybe they just don't want it bad enough because yeah, life's pretty good as it is without it, but. And those years where, you know, if we're looking at like 2011, 2013, you know, 2015 this season when that motivation has to change just by mathematics, right? Where it's like, well, I'm out of the title race. Like, what is that process like for you? And and kind of what do you go through and how do you turn up at the next event? Like, and what are you thinking at that point? It pretty much changes from the start of the event 
through each heat. So Maui, for instance, you know, I wasn't feeling that motivated. I'd actually kind of tweaked my back playing golf, lol, um, in Europe. And I was sort of frustrated at myself. You know, I hadn't, I wasn't really on top of things. Being out of the title race, I sort of, yeah, I was too relaxed and I wasn't really making sure the system was running at optimal levels. And and uh, so going to Maui, I was like, oh, do I even... You know, do I even want to go? Is this one of those things? And then I can't believe I questioned myself because getting to surf Honolulu Bay with nobody out. At the end of the day, and we always say this as surfers, it's like, it's so cool. We get to surf these great waves with nobody out. But it truly is one of the driving factors for myself because, you know, there's just so I get so much joy out of surfing these waves and, and getting to do it with everybody watching. As arrogant as that sounds, it's, it's uh, I just thoroughly enjoy it. But from the start of the event, you know, I'm round one, um, it was nice to feel those nerves, you know, the, the emotions that you go through when, you know, there's a big swell coming and did I bring the right boards and all these sorts of things. Um, my coach, Jake Patterson, he didn't actually come to Maui because he was over here at Sunset Beach and he had a lot on the line with his male surfers here. And I just thought that was kind of funny. I'm like, oh man, I'm really like down to the basics right now. I just threw in whatever boards. I mean, I had like a twin fin in my board and stuff and they're <laughs> yeah, like, it's going to be yeah. solid six to eight feet. Like, Okay. But that's also part of the challenge. It's like, will you figure it out? Can you go out there and make it happen on a board that you don't really know how to surf, right? Or, I mean, in my round one heat, I, it was solid and I grabbed a brand new board from Darren that he made me and it had like a different, it's got like a V in the bottom and it was a totally different shape to what I was used to. And it was funny because I was running down the cliff with it and it was a rounded square, which I've been riding round tails all year. And I had this rounded square, crazy V bottom, like kind of thick and weird. And Strider looks at me and he goes, what are you riding? Is that a shortboard? And I was like, uh, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It's a bit thicker. And I mean, does it really matter if it's a shortboard? And he was like, gave me this look. And then the whole way down the cliff, I just was second questioning myself <laughs> going, oh man, where's my coach? Like, shit, why am I riding this board? You're such an idiot. And I literally doubted myself the whole way down the cliff. And then uh, it wasn't until I got out there and just, you know, I just feel comfortable competing in, in the water and, and it just kind of washed it away. And anyway, I ended up getting a couple of nice scores and, and I won the heat. So that was kind of like the first challenge to kind of find that motivation to be like, okay, it's just a challenge. This is fun. It's a game. Like go out there and see if you can see if you can do it yeah do it without jake do it with a new board exactly like, yeah. all, without all the the things that make you comfortable right strip it all back and see if you can still perform and then in round three i was against sylvana lima and i was sort of my back was sort of hurting after round one and i was like oh man to be honest i i considered pulling out i was like this is not good i should just quit and just go home and do rehab and get ready um for next year and then i just thought no, let's do let's do this because my good friend Nikki Van Dyke, she needs to requalify, and I thought that she, um, I mean, she did her part. But Silvana Lima was the next girl in line to take her position. So if Silvana had climbed up the rankings and got a good result, then uh, knock Nikki out. It would knock Nikki out. Yep. And I was hanging out with Nikki the whole trip, and uh, and I was like, oh, I got to do it for my friend. So then my motivation changed to that. It was sort of like, cool, do it for something that's not for you. Do it for somebody else. And I have a great relationship with Silvana. She's an amazing surfer, one of my favorite surfers. I've actually had, you know, so many good battles with her and she makes me nervous when I surf against her. Yeah. But my drive for that was to do it for Nikki. And so then when I beat her there, I was like, oh, that's awesome. I'm pretty stoked. <laughs> and Nikki was really happy. And then so into the next day, which was the finals day, it was like everything's on the line. And we, yeah, Tyler had beaten Lakey. 
and what uh, was the vibe like i mean just you, you guys all kind of hang out in your cars on the bluff and obviously as you mm-hmm. highlighted there there's a lot on the line and when tyler beat lakey like is everyone just kind of like oh should i go talk to lakey should i give her some space like uh, mm-hmm. how do you kind of deal with those situations it's a tough one yeah i mean i think space is probably the best one carissa and i actually chatted about that before our semi-final started we were like oh you know you know it's kind of feeling for Lakey I mean the double whammy to lose your Olympic spot and also the world title in in one event like within a couple hours is 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 really tough and we both were like oh yeah I was gonna reach out but I didn't really know what to say it it's you know that's the last person you want to hear from is like your rival that you're competing with and there's a lot of like writing texts and then Mm -hmm. deleting texts before you send them kind of thing totally but I did that I sent like a message and you know just let her know that um you know, she's an incredible athlete and, you know, not to give up. It's just, I'm pretty sure I spoke about it with someone else, but I think Lane Beachley was on tour for eight years before she won her first world title, uh, which is a pretty wild stat. But anyway, um, the vibe was okay. I think everyone obviously was very sad for Lakey, but at the same time, it's just competition. I personally started digging into the seedings and I was like, how is Tyler Wright sitting in, how did she come in at such a low seed when she, you know, she's come back as a, a wild card but is she even a wild card I, I was so unsure and I literally spent the night you know I was on text to Jesse Maladaya the commissioner just trying to figure out like why Tyler was in this seat and why she had met Lakey um, at such a crucial moment and I un- understand the whole thing now but yeah I, I was kind of like racking my brains and reading rule books and the whole thing it, it is hard I mean like it's just one of those things we we kind of likened it to like Kelly a couple of years ago like was out with an injury for most of the year and then he came back and his seating he drew like one of the title contenders early on at pipe and it's like i guess pipe's a little different because the specialists are so gnarly but you know what i mean like just the way the seating works and the way of competition like you can just come up against a, a killer at such a crucial point and you're just like oh man like if i was rated like a little lower i wouldn't have gotten this person <laughs> like, yeah which is no, like totally and also i mean i it would have happened to carissa possibly because she if Salma Macedo had lost then tyler would have drawn carissa in yeah. round three and that would have been wild i mean it, tyler was surfing some of the best surfing i've seen her do you know she was so light and dynamic and she just looks fit and healthy and happy and and uh she has that you know life back in into her and and I think that, yeah, she's looking really dangerous. So, so yeah, the vibe was okay. But um, anyway, so in, into the, the quarterfinals against Caroline, my next motivation sort of moved into revenge for myself. Caroline had beaten me all year long. And I was thinking back, probably in the start of the heat, actually, I was thinking about the fact that whenever Lane and I had competed against each other, I had always come out on top, maybe every single time we surfed against each other. And I was just thinking, oh, man, don't let that happen, like, just don't let that happen. And it's amazing what kind of headspace you're in, how that can kind of uh, change the direction of the heat, what wage, waves you're choosing, how you really tune into, you know, your um, your intuition and, and figure out how to win the heat. Um, it was funny. I had a, a couple of my friends from Coolangatta flew out to the, to watch the, the event and um, they're always up on the cliff cheering like as loud as possible. And Caroline made a remark in our heat. She was like, man, everyone wants you to win. Like what? Everyone's up there screaming every time you catch a wave. And I was laughing going, yeah, I pay those people to come out here and cheer just to uh, get in your head. But <laughs> it, it is a weird, it, the Lane comment is an interesting kind of phenomenon of like you thinking something almost into existence in the year where it's like, 
Oh, man, like I was the young upstart where like I almost had nothing to lose. And like every time I beat Lane, it was like another scalp, you know, and then the same thing now that you're a little bit older in your own career. Um, and then there's another upstart coming in with almost like a clarity of mind, right? When you're young and like the expectations are so low and every heat win is like, oh, cool. Like I overachieved. This is great. Yeah, it's, it's that must be a trip, like having gone through that trajectory in your own career and then actually using that intuition to be like, OK, I'm going to. I'm going to make an adjustment that maybe Lane didn't make against me, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not let that happen. Totally. And I obviously spent a bit of time um, hanging out with Caroline and in and around the event. And and she'd made a couple of comments where I just, I could see how confident she was. And she just had no fear. Like the fact she was in a world title race, she just qualified for the Olympics. She was just eating it all up. She wanted more, more, more. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This, I mean, she, everybody already knows how talented she is. But her headspace is the, the main thing that I was like, whoa, this is, this is really impressive. And she made one comment, actually. We were sort of laying there watching some heats. And she was like, man, I'm so bummed. I can't believe this is the last event of the year. Like, I just don't want it to end. Like, I'm so sad. And I was like, oh, you don't want to break? She's like, nah. Like I wanted to, I wanted to start like again tomorrow, and and uh, and I remember thinking, well, wow, that's yeah, that's rad. That's really the headspace when you're in that. You just you, you're pretty much invincible, you know. Yeah. Um, and I had, you know, I'd felt that same way at that age. I was actually thinking, oh, I can't wait for a break, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but anyway. So yeah, my motivation for that was myself, of course, to try and make sure that I could end that uh, winning streak of her against me and. But yeah, Caroline is awesome. I mean, she's she really has such a bright spark in her eyes and, and, and the way she surfs is so fresh. The judges absolutely love it. And, you know, I love it too. And our heat, I think it was her first wave. She did this massive backhand turn and her second one was probably even bigger and she sort of fell out of the sky and she didn't make it. Um, but if she'd have made that, it probably would have changed the course of the, the heat. It, it, that point of difference for judges, and I mean, I, I make the argument all the time, is this probably the most consistently, passionately watched, subjectively scored sport on the planet. I mean, you have sort of like figure skating and diving and all those things that happen, but like this is like every month there's a global audience tuning in every year. And I do think you're right, like because it's subjective, there's different parts of surfing that people can excel at, whether it's like a power-based game or an aerial game or a barrel game. and if you do have a point of difference, if you are on your backhand or if you're a goofy footer in a field of regular footers, it is an advantage, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of ways. Um, totally. And I'd said to her early on, I said, you know, this swell that's coming is really north. We were both in like the supermarket buying groceries. <laughs> and uh, she's like, oh, what do you think about this swell? And I was like, well, you're the one staying with Mike Parsons, so you should probably <laughs> ask him. But uh, from my experience out here at Honolulu, and, you know, I love being able to lend some experience as well because I think that that's you know it's, it's cool to do and I would have appreciated that myself and which I did get from many people along my career but yeah I said to her something like oh you know these north swells are actually probably better for goofy footers because you have a really nice takeoff they're quite you know they're taller on the takeoff but there's not much of a, a wall to hit and I was picturing like the times I'd surfed on my forehand and really struggled to kind of do that wrap or that you know sort of frontside carves because there's not much there it's kind of to bending do it. Away it bends from away bit. from yeah. you, bends out to sea, and and I said to Caroline like it's actually be- way better for your backhand because you can just drop straight to the bottom and just go vertical and keep it really tight in the pocket. So um, yeah, I, I kind of felt like all of the ingredients were you know being sort of 
you know, mixed together perfectly for Caroline to win not just an Olympic spot, but the world title. Yeah. And that also freaked me out because I was like, oh my God, she's so young. This is, this is wild. I can't imagine that happening. Do you think, and obviously it's a projection, but like when Carissa, we were watching in the office and when Lakey got knocked out, you know, Carissa, it seemed okay, you mm-hmm. know, um, but then it seemed like she was almost a little worried, maybe more worried because of Carolyn, because probably the conditions were aligning. And it is one of those things where it's like, this person is already at a place of comfort because they've achieved so much. And if they, they can just keep rolling and win this event, and, like, and that's it. Um, did you get that sense when you were on the bluff at all? 100%. I remember seeing, I was laying next to Caroline again. I think we were watching these heats and Lakey had lost. And the commentary was talking about, this is a huge sigh of relief for Carissa and uh, she can comfortably sort of, you know, move forward now. And I was sitting there going, they're out of their minds saying that. Like Carissa is out of her mind if she thinks that this is much easier now because it's just getting started. I could see uh, Caroline's eyes light up yeah. like, haha, this the is path great. path just got clear for her. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I thought this might be more difficult now. Mm. Um it's sort of trimmed to the fat and it's like, all right, this is it here. And it's, it's really intense, but yeah, it was cool. I got really excited at that point for the whole thing to happen. And it was funny thinking about in my heat with Caroline, I was like, okay, if I would love to see Carissa and Caroline battle it out in the water together because winning a world title in the water is by far the best. It doesn't happen often. Usually you're sitting on the beach, uh, someone's out there doing it for you or the, you know, your opponent loses and yeah, you're celebrating on the beach and, and in my head, in that in the heat with Caroline, I was sitting there going, oh, it'd be pretty cool to see them battle it out. But I kind of had this w- a strong feeling that Carissa might have choked or something. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want that to happen either. I was kind of in like this weird place where, and I was thinking about all these things where I was surfing my heat with Caroline. <laughs> yeah, you also have your own revenge game. And exactly. The lake, you're like, oh yeah, man, okay. There's so, a lot going on. Yeah. But, but yeah, I really, I think I just had really seen the, the confidence of Caroline surfing against Carissa and how dangerous that would be. I also think that's why Caroline lost to me. I think she was ahead of herself. Mm. I think she was already thinking about her heat with Carissa. She, yeah, she was a little bit flustered in our heat. She didn't make that first wave and then she'd made a couple of priority mistakes. And, and I was sort of just playing this safe game where I, I knew how to, um, you know, pick the right ones and, and just kind of get a couple, like a six and a seven and whatever, what they weren't high scores at all. But I think, Caroline was just already too far in the future and that's why she she lost that heat Mm. and then you come up against a freshly crowned Carissa Moore in the semifinals Mm -hmm. what was that like yeah it was it was great you know we were pretty relaxed um beforehand we just saw Tyler win her semi and she was into the final and Chris had obviously just won the title so it was it was nice we had a we had a great moment just before the heat talking about all things how how wonderful it is and yeah, I mean, obviously she was really thankful to have me beat Caroline <laughs> and stuff like that. But she's also as competitive as anybody on the planet, you know. And I, I remember last year paddling out after winning the title and being like, okay, that's cool, I won the title, but here I am again in a heat. So really, can I win this heat? Like, you're only as good as your last performance maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I had all these weird feelings. And I, I know that Carissa was thinking the same thing. She's like, I really want to win this event just to kind of finish the year off with a win. And, uh, and then I just kind of, I, I actually had a really strong feeling that Tyler would win the final, no matter who was in it with her. And I was like, oh, that'd be really cool. I don't think I want to come second in the year. So maybe it's better if I don't do so well in this heat and finish the year with a third, because it's not as 
bad as coming second to end the year. So, but, <laughs> which it, sounds ridiculous. But. It, it does and it doesn't, though, because I think that parallels a lot of times to people that are either in the world title race or in the qualification race on the QS, and they get very close, and then they don't get it. And then you're like, well, logically, they should keep doing as good, if not better, next year. But the psychology behind it is like, I'm exhausted from getting that close and losing. And then often the next year, they, they finish fifth or whatever it is, right? So I think it's similar where you're like, I don't want to get too close and kind of have that that second at the end of the year. And I mean, a lot of times too, we talk about the actual world title race doesn't start in the Gold Coast. It starts the year before, like with the momentum building. And, and is that something you found in your own career? And Oh, definitely. That, I mean, it's happened a, a bunch of times. You know, Chris has won, she hasn't had a great year and then she's won Maui, won the title the next year, which is what happened last year for myself. Uh, 2017, I didn't have a very good year, but I won Maui and then I won the title 2018. There's something about winning Maui that really kind of sets the the pace for the following year but I think that um there's just also something so so great about ending the year like that just finishing it up so that was definitely my motivation there against Carissa just like beat the champ that's sick <laughs> so I'm just so competitive too in, in terms of being able to back up a world title it's something that Carissa hasn't been able to do yet you were able to do it your first four years and then it was it was on and off after that wait she hasn't been able to back up a title she's never gone back to back no. Really? No. Oh, damn. Yeah, Tyler was uh, the last one. Hmm. Um, and it is a hard thing. Like, I remember, you know, Andy Irons said this years ago, um, and he said, you know, the thing about the tour is everyone is cheering for you to win your first world title. And the second you do, they all want you to lose. Like, you just have this huge target on your back. And it is a little bit like that. I think it's a little bit like what we were talking about with expectation and, and scalping people and stuff like that. And you know, compared to your run across those first four years, how have you found the tour since then in terms of, is it, is it the talent's gotten much better? Is it you've, your life is diversified to the point where it's not as singular a focus as it was when you were 17? Like, what do you think it is on, on your side? Yeah, of course. Um, Maybe a combination of, you know, those things. Yeah, definitely a combination. Uh, obviously, yeah, the more you travel, the more wonderful things you do and the people you meet, you sort of start to realize that there's more to life than just winning world titles but I think yeah for myself like last year I just I had such a strong headspace that I wanted to win the title and I changed into that singular focus you know that one track mind that's all I wanted to do I wasn't interested in you know going and doing all those other fun things um, <laughs> that you get to do when you're traveling the world and uh, that's really yeah it's hard because yeah you kind of have to sacrifice a lot to to win these titles you just have to be in that one track mind and I do think in the past maybe I haven't I've done it without you know I've sort of been able to win the title with having a more balanced approach um, but I think now more than ever because of the talent on the tour uh, you can't be half in half out and still win you really can't. And that's what happened to me this year. Like, I feel like I was still celebrating from 2018 this whole year. And I was like, oh, wait a second. The tour is happening and I'm on it and um, I'm not winning right now. So what's going on? <laughs> I, I think that happens a lot. Also, because when you are the world champ, like the responsibilities, whether it's press or sponsorship at every event are that much higher, you know, and, and I think people that don't have that are like, well, I get to focus a little bit. But I think the perspective just on you from the outside is that you do have a really nice balance in terms of lifestyle. That might not be the reality, but that, you know, I think when people compare how, what they see on Instagram or just you in general, 
they're like, oh yeah, she goes, she's into music and she's into photography and she's got this great life and it's not just competition. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess that's not always a reality at the end of the day. You know, if you are at that level, you are extremely competitive. Yeah. I think I've tried to convince myself that you can be a little more like, oh, I can just cruise and like, yeah, sort of dabble in all these other things and then come back to the tour events and show up and just do my thing when I need to. But I've kind of, yeah, I've come to realize that you just, if you want to win, you can't do that. You have to really be committed to it from start to finish and everything in between. And it's great. You know, I think that it's a big commitment though. Mm. So you have to be ready for it. I don't know though. I'm not, I'm also, the value of winning titles back to back is, it's a wonderful feeling, but I really think I've gotten so much more out of losing a title or for a couple of years or whatever, and then having to fight your way back and winning it again. You know, it sort of lets you reset and really understand what it is that drives you to do that and why you want to win the world title and how it felt to not be in that lead. And then to finally like piece it all together and to come back and win a title is is such a rewarding feeling, more so than just winning again and again and again and again. Yeah, and I think that's something that's really interesting and I want to get your impression of it too because like the motivation for winning a world title from your first one at 19 to now kind of changes, I'd, I would imagine, because you grow and as a person. You know, we ask a lot of people that question at the start of the year. It's like, well, what do you want to do? Everyone, I want to win the world title. Okay, well, why? You know, and a lot of times people are just like, I, I, I don't know. I want to impress my brothers, I guess. You know, and, it, <laughs> and it's like, that's interesting. Like, so so is that change for you? Like, and and I guess like, motivation wise and what do you think that unlocks for you in your own life if if you win another world title yeah um i feel like i just always thought everybody wanted to be the very best in the world at something when they're a young kid you know like do do you not wake up in the morning when you're 12 years old and be like i want to be the very best we are the number one sports podcast in uruguay (laughs) just to let you know so you've achieved it that's right uh but (laughs) so yeah and, and i think it wasn't until, you know, maybe fourth world title in that I really started asking people that. And they were like, well, no, I, I didn't actually want to be the very best in the world at whatever it was I was doing. I just kind of enjoy, you know, learning about things or just living my life the way I want to live it. I don't feel the need to hold up the trophy and, you know, the fame and the glory and all this sort of stuff. And, but for me, from that, I would say from 12, 13, you know, 14, 15 years old, I was definitely... I just had such a strong, I don't know, is it a higher power that's telling me that I'm that I'm going to be a world champion? I don't know what it is, but it was, I guess, just a want. And I just knew that that was what I wanted to do. It wasn't even like, do it because it's fun or do it to impress anybody. It was just like I had such a strong feeling of this is what I'm meant to do in my life at this moment. Uh, not at that moment because I was too young, but obviously later on in life. And I think it was such such a strong sense of um, my purpose that, you know, I didn't even question it for like the first five, six years on tour. It was just like I was just going through the motions and just doing it and winning. And cool. and that's probably an advantage in a lot of ways because it is that totally. like clarity of focus and like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not I'm not asking why. I'm just I know this is what we're doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And to have that clarity is when you you're probably going to succeed the most because you just you know, how to get there. And yeah. And then I think as the years went on, it sort of just became, I mean, yeah, it would sort of, I don't know, would it change? 
a little bit. I guess some world titles, I just was thinking, this is just fun. Yeah. At the end of the day, I just really enjoy it. I mean, this last world title in 2018, I'd set out to tie for the record with Lane Beachley. I really want to have the most world titles. And I think in the beginning, I kind of was thinking, yeah, I want to have the most, but not really. This is just my purpose. I meant to do this. I don't even care why I do it. This is just what I meant to do. And then it turned more into like, cool, just win more and more. Like, when does it ever end? It's addictive. That winning feeling and holding up the trophy and being the best in the world. It's it's kind of this addictive feeling, which is so weird because I don't, you know, I don't feel like I'm the best in the world. There's, it's such a subjective Sure, but I, I mean, the, the per, the, well, one could challenge. I, I think like the personal like self-worth thing that you're talking about in the beginning, like at some point there is an inflection where you're like, I do feel good about myself. I've won so much. But now you're kind of saying, but then that turns into a bit of an addiction because you do want to keep progressing, right? And surfing also... Yeah, I think people have said it before. It's like it, it is something that you can never feel like you've fully mastered. Like I would, I'd argue like your surfing year over year gets better and you were a world champ back in 2007. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's really cool. Like next year and in 10 years, you could be way better than you are now. Yeah, no, completely. And I remember uh, after winning the world title in 2018, I had won it on the cliff and Lakey had just lost in a heat against Alana. And I remember we were surfing the same day as Jaws was on. The surf was firing. Jaws was on. And there's Kiala Kennelly and, you know, Paige Arms. These girls are out there paddling into, like, 40-foot waves with howling offshore winds. And I just had this feeling of, like, okay, you've won the world title seven times, but there's so much more to do. You aren't the best in every type of conditions, you know, and and I think that's a nice drive. That's really what has also kept me kind of coming back for more. I don't think I'm pushing myself hard enough in aerials, in um, big waves and any of this stuff. I think I've become quite complacent in that sense, which is kind of like my worst fear. But yeah, at the end of the day, I just, I don't know. I was thinking about it. I just thoroughly enjoy being on the tour and I love traveling and I love I love the fact that I still get nervous before I paddle out for a heat. And even though I've done it so many hundreds of times, I'm still in this feeling of excitement and nerves. And it's just a challenge, you know, and and I just kind of enjoy that because, yeah, now I think about it in a way where I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to do with it? What can you do with these world world titles? Like, what's the point? If you win 20, you know, people aren't going to know whether you've won five or 25 at that point I feel like it just kind of mushes into I mean how many times have people said about Kelly Slater oh the 10 times world oh no wait 12 times how many world titles has he won and I think obviously Kelly's legacy is much more than just that number of world titles that he's won and that's something that I really want to work on it's like what am I actually leaving here what message am I telling what story am I telling how am I acting around in and around um, my performances in the ocean and yeah whether it's trying to work with the WSL for quality in our sport and just being involved in things that are much bigger than yourself. That's really what that, that I feel I need to move into a lot more. And that's, you know, if you can win world titles along the way, it's freaking awesome. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think that you, you end up kind of achieving a platform that then is like, okay, like I can do a lot of things with this. You know, I'm exposed to a number of people. I'm a role model for a number of people. I can go down to rising tides and like change a kid's life just by saying hi. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, right? the rising tides is awesome, actually. I think that this year, 
um, having all of those girls come to the events. For a while there, I was a little worried about how many girls were actually coming through the ranks. I was like, oh man, has Instagram just killed all the hope for these new young girls that are going to be shredding, you know, all the girls just want to be Instagram models and wear bikinis and lay on the beach. And, uh, and then having the Rising Tides events at each location, it just blew me away because I was like, wow, this is great. There are so many young girls. And whether they were competitive or not, you could kind of tell which ones were going to go on to be competitive surfers professionally or girls that just wanted to enjoy that time in the sea. There was a little bit of everything, but there was so many young girls that I could see that fire in their eyes. You know, they were looking at me just going, I'm going to eat you alive one time, you know, soon. If they could, they were like five years old. But uh, that really restored um, so much faith in doing programs like that and being involved in programs like that because you can change a young girl's life. And I remember being that age and just sort of looking up to Chelsea and Sophia and Lane and all the girls, Lisa, and just thinking, that's so cool. I want to do that. And I want to beat them too. <laughs> and then you did. You are from, I'm going to screw this up, Murwulumba. 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 Shoot. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to try again. <laughs> is that a country town? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little country town. It's like inland of Byron Bay would be a place I'm sure most people have heard of. And yeah, the east coast of Australia. It's a magical part of the world. We have great waves, beautiful beaches, you know, clean ocean water. And yeah, it's amazing farmland, hills and you know, green rolling hills, lots of just places to go and escape the world, but also be at the beach and surf some world-class waves. So you're a country girl? I don't know. I mean, maybe. Not really. I mean, we were born in Mwollomba, but we actually lived in Kingscliff, which is, you know. A little township. More on the coast. You could call it, I wouldn't call it a country town, but I guess so. I mean, there's lots of farmland around it. <laughs> so I, bring, I hate country music for that. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, and actually that ties into kind of what I was driving at a little bit, which is fortunately I've known you for a number of years and get to um, watch you excel at mm. so many different things and have this amazing globetrotting international life and, and meet with top level people in their own creative fields. And I think like, you know, you coming from a name, which I'm not going to say again, Kingsliff, um, if you hadn't surfed, do you ever think about like, maybe I just never really would have left New South Wales. And now I have this life that is truly like a citizen of the world and across all these different spaces of interest. Like, is that ever something you think about? I try not to think about it because it freaks me out. The idea of being stuck in one place. Like there's another reality in which, you know, used to Mm -hmm. live in Kingy. Yeah, no, that's terrifying. I love that part of the world and I feel like that is my home for sure. And that's where my family lives and um, my friends, my very best friends still live there too. But I've never, you know, I don't miss it. I don't miss being anywhere, to be honest. And so that sense of being a global citizen definitely rings true to, I don't know, maybe it's also a coping mechanism that I've been able to create over the years for myself to make sure that when I'm on the road I'm not needing to be somewhere else and that's given me so much longevity in my career because I've just I'm okay to pack up and leave to go somewhere else and yeah I think you do sort of if they're obviously true relationships friendships and whatever they work fine as is you can leave for six months come back and it's totally fine but yeah, you definitely, you know, it makes it tough on on just living that normal life. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. When I go home and, and sort of hang out and see people around that I went to school with or whatever, and they're sort of doing the same thing that they were doing forever. And yes, I live an amazing, very lucky to live this lifestyle. Not everyone can just take off and do everything, um, travel so much. But it just gives me so much gratitude for what I do and, and how I get to do it. 
the people I get to meet and, you know, stories I can kind of create for my life. It, the coping comments interesting because a lot of I mean surfing is like a community obsessed with the cult of youth and they're grabbing younger and younger kids and sending them around the world right and you write the same thing like at some point you're like I don't want to miss my friends or my family or anything so I kind of have to adjust my mentality to be like I like being on the road yep. you know and I remember talking to Stephen Bell about this years ago and he brought it up in relation to Kelly and he said you know Kelly doesn't have a home really or at the time didn't have a home you know that's why you know he might get knocked out of J-Bay or the event might finish at J-Bay but he's going to stay there for three weeks because the waves are going to be good mm-hmm. and that has been like a huge advantage to him over his career because he's able to kind of be present wherever he needs to be mm-hmm. but it's interesting I mean I, I I think it's something that you kind of just evolve and you know adapt to your surroundings in a lot of ways but it's interesting too I mean I'd imagine like you look back and you're like no I was always a kid that like wanted to see the world mm-hmm. and I did yeah no I think for it's not for everybody. Like yeah. I think some people are okay to kind of lead that gypsy life and others are not. And I look at somebody who say, you know, Mick Fanning, for instance. I think for Mick, it was so draining to to be so committed um, for an entire year that I think he really knows where his home is. And he really wanted to be there because he enjoys being there so much. And, and so I, I could see that's why he was like, okay, I'm done. I've, I don't need to go out there and win 12 world titles. I'm... I'm so proud of my career and as he should be. And, and he wants to, you know, now be in that space where he can be at home a lot. And yeah, I don't know. I think that it's, it's just everyone's just a little different. But the idea of kind of stopping and just being in one place, yeah, it, it doesn't really sit well with me right now. But I also, I don't know. Yeah, I just feel so comfortable being anywhere. And you have to, you have to do that if you want to be on tour. You have to be able to be present wherever you are otherwise you I mean you can't paddle out into a heat and be thinking of like oh man I wish I was with you know so-and-so across the other side of the world you just won't win that heat have you have (laughs) you have you ever been in that situation where you've been Mm -hmm. yeah yep um yeah for sure you know just being in relationships here and there and you're sort of like oh I wish I was here or there you kind of like readjusting your schedule and and uh and it sucks because you just yeah you're not able to um to be as selfish as you need to be. And that's, at the end of the day, I think I'm one of the most selfish people I've ever met. So <laughs> that's just, uh, which is okay though. That's fine. Like I, I think that you can you can be selfish, but you can also be- You can be kind, kind and selfish. Exactly. I think that's right. I mean, I think it, getting caught betwixt and between whether you have a career that is sort of globetrotting and your grass is always greener, you're like, I wish I was home. Mm-hmm. Or if you're at home, you're like, I get out of town, but you can't, yeah. you know, I think that's- that's it. And you just kind of have to make that adjustment in a lot of ways. Mm. And it's funny, we travel so much, but we travel to a lot of the same destinations. And, you know, being on the road all year long, like this year I was away. I didn't go back to Australia, you know, from May until like end of November. And, you know, traveling so much is amazing. But the whole time I'm just like, oh, there's so many more places I need to go and see and, um, you know, and, and sort of just be a part of in some way. And, uh, and it's a cool feeling to have because it's sort of like that world that, that I live in and being a world champion, that could be my be all and end all. And I could be at the limit of this bubble that I live in. But realistically, you know, to have that open mind and to think that there's just so much more out there and so many other places to go and see is, uh, it's cool. It's just keeping that curiosity is so important. And I think, yeah, definitely allows you to continually want to be you know, on tour and challenging yourself in different ways and winning world titles and all these sorts of things. 
this came up for me the other day and, and someone was like, well, how many times have you been to France? And I'm like, I don't know, like eight or eight or 10. And they're like, oh, like, do you like Paris? I'm like, I've never left the airport. And I'm like, I, I, and they're like, are you kidding? And I'm are like, that person? I am that person. I was like, <laughs> little poser surf rat. I'm like, why would I go to Paris? Like, is, oh, I'm going to go surfing, you know? And then now that I'm older, I'm like, I really probably should have like <laughs> done a Machu Picchu trip if we're in Peru, like literally anything. And I'm just like, ah, it, it feels like you've established, like, at least at this point in your life, like a nice, I'm going to go out and experience these things and then have that drive back into my performance. And the question I wanted to ask you, too, is you see a lot of people on the men's or women's tour, they never ride anything but their Ferrari thruster. They never do anything but, like, train Ferrari for... Ferrari thruster. Well, like you that. know, like, yeah, you know, like the the model that, like, recreational surfers, like, I'm going to buy that and it's going to go terrible for me. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like, they, they're consistently focused on... I'm going to dial in my performance board and I'm going to work on performance surfing and, and that's it. I've, I know that you like to experiment with equipment. Do you also experiment with, I'm going to go on a surf trip and just have some fun as well. Or is it secret competitive kind of mentality at all times for you? No, I'm all, it doesn't matter where I'm surfing or what, you know, what my purpose is there. I'm always <laughs> having fun in some way. Because not everyone can do that. No, they which, can't. Which, yeah, but I is, also put that back to the fact that I, I had such great success early in my career. And so I, I'm at ease with the fact that I can go on these trips and I can roll up to an event with a twin fin in my board bag, plus my competitive boards as well. But I think because I was able to win, you know, a world title early on, I kind of was able to get that out of the way. And it's been a blessing because now I can find this balance where I can switch into that like fierce competitiveness, but also paddle out and and be like all right cool let's i don't know the waves are pumping let's ride a twin fin because even yesterday i came uh out here to the north shore and and had a um a surfer pooper care and you know kelly was out there testing all these different boards and and i was riding this little it's like a twin fin a little trailer so it's not really a twin fin it's a thruster but and all i could think about was just taking off on this big blue wall and not doing anything on it but just gliding down the line as fast as i could and that, and I can feel it right now when I'm envisioning it. And it's just, it's the greatest feeling ever. And to be able to try and like chase after that feeling, even when you're in the you know middle of your career and you know, chasing after world titles and stuff, that is so healthy, I think, for anyone. But yeah, everyone's different. I don't know. Yeah. So, no, I, I mean, I see, I see the, all these other surfers that are just like, they're in the gym every single day and it's, they like the routine. They, they need that in their life, but... Um, for me, it's, you know, it's like, a, if I can just have a little bit of everything, then <laughs> that's okay. But maybe that's why I'm not, I'm just not an extreme person, but. Um, well, that, that maybe I, I would argue that probably has contributed to the longevity already, like in your mm -hmm. career, right? Because it's able to keep things fresh. Mm -hmm. But I do think about, man, I need to be extreme more because that will take me into those uncomfortable zones that help me to evolve and become bigger and better at whatever it is that I'm trying to do. Would you ever ride a twin fin in a heat? Um, I probably would. Yeah. I don't think I'd win the event, but <laughs> I'd have a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I probably would. I don't know. I also feel like that could be kind of disrespectful in a way. If you beat someone on a twin fan. <laughs> no, also just that you're, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm not taking the piss, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it's fun. Like, like surfboards and performance are interesting. Again, it goes back to like surfing being like a hyper subjective sport in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. But like, you know, moments when, when, you know, Dane Reynolds rides a dumpster diver or Kelly rides like a wizard sleeve or a, or a sci-fi or mm -hmm. 
or Stu Kennedy rides a sci-fi or um, and Chris Ward rides a round those fish or like those are pretty cool moments like in competition and yeah. like seeing how they use, you know, I'm using bunny quotes, but like alternative equipment, mm-hmm. like to perform at a really high level. Like, I think that's pretty rad. Totally. The, I think the thing with me is everyone is sort of associating me with these fun boards and twin fins and stuff because they enjoy watching it because I think when I'm surfing uh, on these boards, I'm having so much fun that people can really feel that. They get a sense of the amount of joy that I'm getting and they go, oh my gosh, that's so good. You're ripping on this board. Realistically, I'm not actually ripping in that sense. Like if I was on a normal short board, I would be surfing much more high performance. Right. But it's just the fact that I'm you know, enjoying it. And I really think people can pick up on that when they're watching somebody surf and it's seamless and joyful and magical. Then you just, you feel good and you're like, well, that was the best thing I've seen all day. But judging wise, I don't think it would work. (laughs) It feels like over the last couple of years, there's been a really significant generational shift on the men's tour. Um, You know, it's like the line that Kelly's been the next best thing for three decades, which has created like a a radical vacuum, right, (laughs) in in surfing. But I think over the last few years, you know, that that class of like the Hobgoods and and Taj and, um, you know, Mick and Joel and Kelly's still there, but like them kind of, you know, stepping into retirement in different ways. And the bona fides of, of a Gabriel Medina or a Felipe Toledo or a John John Florence winning events, winning world titles. It feels like we're in a like a, a big sort of decade long generational shift for the men. Is that something that you guys pick up? Because obviously you travel with them a lot as well. Do you have you noticed that on the men's side? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think it's more about because we all grew up just watching on repeat all of those, you know, the Momentum Generation films and all the Taylor Still films that yeah, it's a little nostalgic and then you kind of to see these guys ending their careers and moving on, it's like Oh man, those you know CJ versus Damien heats at pumping Chopu were the best thing ever. Like you really were so excited to watch these heats, and it just I think it's just because it, they were evolving the sport so much in that era, and it's just yeah. I think for the young kids now, like I asked a young Hawaiian kid the other day, "Who are you going for at Pipeline?" and and he said, "I want Italo to win." And that kind of caught me off guard. I was expecting John John. And he just went, Italo, he's so fun to watch. And, you know, he does all these crazy things. And I do, I find myself tuning in now because seeing these guys surf is, is just as good, but it's just that I'm not as, you know, it's not as familiar to, to watch them. They're not quite my idols yet because they're younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are also filling that space. I mean, Italo mm-hmm. won the Surfer Pole Awards a few nights ago. He was the first Brazilian mm-hmm. to do so. You know, yeah. like it, it is interesting. And I mean, the title race here at Pipe, like this is going to come out maybe on the day that we decide um, at Pipe and you've got five guys and every one of them has a story, whether it's Italo's first one or Gabriel's third one or Felipe's first one or Jordi or Chloe's first one is... You know, what are your thoughts on the men's title race and, and this final event? Yeah, I love it. It's fascinating to think that, you know, there's so many in the race. I'm a huge fan of Gabriel. I think that, you know, what he's done for the sport, you know, it's definitely like he's sort of gone down this football player route where he, you know, he's, he's the Neymar basically of, of surfing and it's a different approach. You know, they, it's, uh, it's a little more like it's a business transaction, uh, Kelly and I were talking about this. When you watch Gabriel, it's like a business transaction when he's competing and it, it's just purely that's it. But it's so incredible to watch because you just know. I mean, at the same time, you just know what he's going to do. And I kind of think that Gabriel will win. 
but there's a huge part of me that loves Italo because there's still this surprise factor, even though Gabriel does just as gnarly aerials and, you know, gets barreled just as great. That's kind of like, it's comfortable. You kind of know he can do it. Whereas Italo, there's still that surprise factor. Like, oh, I wonder what he's going to do. This is kind of crazy. And then with Geordie, I really want Geordie to win. That would be my pick for sure. Because I think right now Geordie is, um, I mean, surfing fantastic. And he seems like he's been able to have a few clutch moments where he can pull it together in the last few seconds. Like that win in Portugal was insane in, in his semi. And it just, yeah, I'd love to see a fresh face like that win. Um, even though he's not a fresh face, he's been around forever. But I just think that this is his time to do it. He, he's a really interesting one just because there was so much hype around him the year before he qualified. He, like, smashed the QS. He had that huge bidding war. And we were talking about this the other night. We said, you know, talent-wise, he had every right to win a world title, like, those first three years, just because he was so progressive and had all these weapons that the tour kind of hadn't adopted yet. And it's insane that he's surfing the same thing, like, better than he ever has, like, almost a decade into his career on the CT, and he's in the title race. I think for him, too the question mark over the years for him has been sort of heavy water um like reef passes mostly on his backhand i think just in terms of performances at like chopu and stuff like that and so and want and yeah that's right the drive to want to win like i think that's you, you think so for jordy yeah yeah i think he's had such a you know incredible career and i think for him personally he probably he knows he can be a world champ yeah but he's questioned it so much because he hasn't had that success that everybody told him he was going to have at a young age probably that it sort of might have diluted his dream a little bit well and then there's also i guess the the component of like discomfort from like sponsorship right where it's exactly. like you know it's like i think you're right like i think with him in particular it is this i'm exhausted from expectation management right because everyone told me i was going to be a world champion forever and i haven't yet and i kind of don't need to from a financial perspective because i'm one of the higher paid guys in the sport mm-hmm. But it is still, I think it's almost impre- more impressive now that he's sort of recalibrated both those things and he's in the hunt. Exactly. And I, I, you know, I see it. I see that he can piece it together. He's not afraid to push it that little bit further in different conditions. And he sort of just brings something a little different. Like he has, you know, the Italo and, and Gabriel, um, Philippe, they obviously are amazing at aerials and whatever. But Geordie kind of has this thing where he comes out and he'll do like a different grab or he'll you know, he's more of a skater in that. It's more like a John John, you know, they're more like skaters where they're willing to do, try these different grabs and stuff. And the combos are a little different than the, Bra- the Brazilian guys. I feel like they just have their on lockdown. They just want to go higher, but do the same maneuver, but just do it higher mm. and maybe spin a little bit faster or something. But um, yeah, I feel like John and Jordy are more interested in like tweaking it out or, you know, doing something like that, which is really cool. But yeah, Jordy's just also the best because he, um, <laughs> At the surf ranch, or was that the first one? The Future Classic we had, and after the event, we all had a um, an amazing raging party, and uh, they had an '80s band get on stage, <laughs> and they uh, Jordy got up to sing "Rebel Yell," and it was just the best thing ever. I had he some good good, good hair whips. Oh yep. my god, it was amazing. I'm like, wait a second, you're a rock star. <laughs> Why are you a pro surfer? <laughs> you should be on stage with a microphone at all times. And after that, I was like, yep, he needs to win the world title because. He'll throw a great party. So, so Jordy's <laughs> your passion pick, but you're mm-hmm. you're putting your um your, your Lululemon pick. Maui prize money. You're betting on Gabrielle. Yep, I am. Gabrielle's performance last year at Backdoor was just 
He's such yeah, a you terminator. You don't see goofy footers really owning both pipe and backdoor that well. So that was, and I, I also think you know the guys like Jamie O'Brien and a lot of the, the local Hawaiian pipe specialists. You know, they all saw it. Do they agree? They were just like, oh my gosh, this is another level of of surfing, owning both the rights and the lefts in competition. And Kelly's probably the only other person that has done that, or Andy and Bruce. Okay, so 2020, you're coming off a win at Maui, another win at Maui. You've qualified for the Australian Olympic team. What's your headspace going into this offseason, and when does preparation start for 2020? Yeah, um, you know, preparation starts every day. It's now, it's This tomorrow. podcast. <laughs> this right here. Big in Uruguay. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool to finish the year like that, and um, I'll definitely take some time now, just go back to Australia for Christmas and enjoy that. But I'll probably also get a bit itchy feet and maybe I want to go somewhere else, maybe to the snow or something. To be honest, I'm not too fussed on holidaying so much, you know, as long as I'm surfing and I'm going to get my body in order. Um, The Olympics is six months away. Like it's so close. I'm trying, you know, I'm sort of been thinking a lot about it and, you know, visualizing being in that space, being at the Olympics Standing on stage next to a lot of the other tour girls the other day who have qualified for the Olympics, I sort of laughed to myself because I was like, yeah, it's just going to be like another tour event in Japan, but it's going to have a couple of Olympic rings on top of the trophy rather than a WSL logo. And then, you know, I was sort of thinking, no, don't be, don't underestimate it because this, you know, the Olympics is huge. So don't underestimate it. Don't get there and pretend like it's nothing because it'll be huge. And so, yeah, I'm just kind of, I think the preparation in that sense is starting now because I'm already visualizing next year and how that'll work. I think for everyone, it's going to be the busiest year, maybe in the history of competitive surfing for those athletes that are in the Olympics as well. Do you factor that into your preparation for winning an eighth world title, knowing Mm. that it's like, this is another layer of commitment. Mm. Um, So how do I kind of synthesize those things in a way that's productive? Totally. I, uh, I want to win an eighth world title for sure. That's like my main goal. But I think that uh, the Olympics will probably overshadow that next year for some reason. Um, but that's okay. I'm not like freaked out by that at all. I'm sort of, it's kind of nice to have, you know, similar goals, like similar to a world title, winning an Olympic gold medal. But it's nice to kind of pour my energy into something else that is still obviously surfing, but it's a new and exciting feeling. Do you think the preparation is that much different? Well, Yeah basically just trying to get equipment that will work in potentially the smallest waves we'll surf all year you know to surf in chiba i went there earlier this year and um it's a really small beach break it could be bad i think we're just outside of the typhoon zone so i'm not sure we'll even get a typhoon swell hopefully we do that'd be cool but i think the rest of the olympics (laughs) won't be stoked if there's a typhoon that rolls through tokyo and uh yeah, the surfers will be soaked, but nobody else. So <laughs> that'd be funny. But yeah, I think preparation will really be about going to Japan with Darren, with a bunch of different, Darren Hanley, my shaper, getting a bunch of different little boards. Um, maybe you get to ride the twin fin. Maybe twin fin. <laughs> That's it. I'm sure. I mean, Kelly talks to me about it every time he sees me. Like, oh, you got to get the twin fin. You know, now Darren's making these short boards for me where he's sort of squishing a twin fin into my short board and it just seems confused, but... <laughs> But um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But I don't think I'd want to just bust out a twin fin at the Olympics. That could be weird. It could, it could be awesome. <laughs> it could be awesome. Okay, before we go on the topic of board setups, we're going to do the lightning round. <laughs> sound effects coming in. I don't know. Maybe not. 
Ryan Fawcett's going to look at me and be like, That's you asshole. Hilarious. Okay. Answer as quick as you can. One board set up for the rest of your life. Single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless. Mm, the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. Gosh. I kind of want to say thruster. Coffee or tea? Actually, no, twin fin. Um, <laughs> coffee or tea? Tea. Burrito or pizza? Pizza. Last book you read? Um, it was called Banana. <laughs> Best surf film ever? Oh, man, that's such a hard question. I don't know, probably like just the good old Kelly Slater in black and white or searching for Tom Curran or something. One wave you never have to go back to. Never? Mm-hmm. Because I want to or because I just don't have to? Yeah, either way. I don't know. Like them all. If you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life. You know, I don't surf pipeline very much, but I feel like pipeline would be the one because it's, yeah, I would say pipe and backdoor because it's just like, I'm terrified of it, but I'm also, if it's a wave that I'm going to surf forever, it's going to give me everything. That's such a good answer because you look at someone like Mike Ho mm-hmm. and Mike Ho's out there charging. Right. And I feel like Kelly is looking at Mike Ho and being like, yeah, I'm going to be out here when I'm 80. For sure. Like it does feel like it's a, a it's kind of just fountain a, of the, youth. Yeah. The gift that keeps on giving, you know, if, if I could say snapper or like Honolulu Bay or something, but it, it seems limited in, in uh, fulfillment, fulfillment. Exactly. Pipe is endless. Good answer. Best person to share a lineup with? Not my dad, because he takes all the waves. <laughs> Worst person to share a lineup with? Probably Kelly, man. He takes all the waves. Finish this sentence. <laughs> I will next achieve a state of happiness by? By surfing out the front here at beautiful Hawaii, North Shore, Oahu. Sun's out. Water's amazing. Waves are fun. Perfect. Steph Gilmore, thank you very much. Ooh, thanks. So that's it. That is our conversation with Steph. I hope you enjoyed it. Her episode brings the lineups world title count up to nine between PT, Debbie, and herself. So that's a big jump for us. If you're listening to this just after we launch, the Billabong Pipe Masters may be live right this second. The world title could be happening right now. Go to worldsurfleague.com or the WSL app and watch history go down. Thank you, as always, for listening, and please download and subscribe to the lineup if you haven't done so already. Also, be sure to check out the WSL Pure Podcast One Ocean. Thanks again. I hope you're getting waves wherever you are. We'll be back next week, and see you then. Bye.